Are you going to start? Do I have to I will start? start? I will start. I, we, we will guide you. Well, we you will hold that. I'm getting the feeling Jim hasn't listened to any of our podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting the sense. Uh, I have to walk the dog. I'm a busy guy. <laughs> That's when people normally listen to podcasts, Jim. No, this might be our intro. That. This might be our intro. Do I start or do you start? That's that's, that's how we're going to start this episode. Yeah. Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. This is Pastor Scott, and with me today are Pastors Jim and Brian. Hello. Hi. And we, Brian and I actually have the distinct privilege today to get to hear a little bit of Jim's testimony, parts of which we've heard over the years in various formats, but we get to grill you, Jim. That's basically what we're here to do. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> My wife does that pretty often, so I'm used to it. It's good. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> this will be just like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as we've been started with Pastor Reggie, and as we've told you we're going to be doing, we wanted to provide an, a, a context, an opportunity for pastoral testimonies for you to get to an opportunity to hear a little bit about how the Lord has brought our various pastors to where they are in their lives to, and, and also how he's worked kind of along the way. So in the next 40 minutes, Jim, we want you to tell you to tell the whole story. <laughs> Not nearly enough time. I need a day or two. <laughs> That'll be a, maybe we'll start a podcast. Just the whole podcast will be Pastor Jim. <laughs> Perfect. Afternoons with Pastor Jim. There you go. Um, and it'll be a, we will release it weekly. And after like three years, we'll have, you know, gotten know the whole story. story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the threat exactly. is that Matt will no longer be able to call this podcast the number one podcast at <laughs> Cornerstone Church. Oh, that, that podcast <laughs> would, would dwarf us for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. I mean, I, I feel good about being the number two podcast at Cornerstone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let, let's, let, let's jump in a little bit. Jim, where, uh, where, where were you first exposed to Jesus? Well, pretty early on, I, I, I grew up in a church going family. My, my father was a farmer in Oklahoma. My mother had been a school teacher and married him. And as happens in those days, she quit working and stayed at home. Um, but they both went to into town to the Methodist Church there, and so and, and the story of that is it was a controversial thing from big, the beginning. In this small town, the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church were across the street from each other, and they didn't talk. If you're a Baptist, you didn't talk to the Methodists, and vice versa. So when my dad walked across the street to ask my mom out on a date, that was a big deal. <laughs> so she because she, she was Baptist because she was Methodist. Oh, she was Methodist. And he was, and he he was, was Baptist. Baptist. Yes, right. Oh, so yeah. So yeah. So I I always noticed when we went to church that you know there there would be this moment where people would stop and stare across the street at each other, and I had no idea what that was about. I thought that was part of what you did at church somehow. You know, I had no idea. But <laughs> do we know what their beef was? Like why? Why they were so? I mean, there's not a lot of bad blood historically between Baptists and Methodists. Like, they're not like known yeah. for their, There's their... no real drama in a small town, so you have to create it. See? <laughs> so okay. that's the best thing I can figure. I mean, I had uncles who wouldn't talk to, to my father, but they'd talk to me. So it was, it was kind of, you know, just those kinds of small town tensions. But, um, you know, I just, I went to church, I went to school growing up. Um, there were all kinds of uh, moments I look back on that I think God used. We, we had, uh, the funny thing about the Methodists is sometimes they wanted to hear the gospel and sometimes they didn't. And so 
at one point they got a pastor who actually preached the Bible, um, and people did, tended to not like that. And later on, he was fired. And what happened was, uh, years later, I wound up having a paper route in town, and he was on my paper route. And he remembered me, and he would come out and sit with me on the curb and get his newspaper for me. And we'd talk for like an hour or so. And I think that probably was my first exposure to, I mean, he asked me questions about faith. I mean, I was like, I don't know, fifth grade or something like that. Mm. So after he'd been fired from the church? After he'd been fired from the church, yeah. Oh. He, he, he moved into town, pastored the church for, I think, three years, something like that, bought a house, uh-huh. and then got fired. And so, you know, he already owned the house. He didn't know what to do. So he stayed in town and commuted to another town where he was a pastor. But he was on my paper route. And I just think that was a God thing. I just think that was the start of the whole thing. I, 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 that was the first time I became aware that the Bible was something other than kind of gobbledygook or mm. like children's stories. Mm. Um, I, I, I love that phrase. You, you use that phrase a lot. Uh, what, gobbledygook? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, yes it's, not, but it's not where I was not going. The ones that I was not incorrect. About. No, it was a, a God thing. Oh, I yeah. just feel like wait, whenever you tell a story, there's just a God thing is uh, constantly pops up because it's, it's the Lord's sovereign orchestrating in all these like, yeah. incredible ways. Yeah, he just dips into my life every once in a while, all, all along there. It's like very annoying, but uh, that's, that's what he did. And uh, we had a tough time. So uh, several things happened. I had uh, asthma. My mother had asthma. We had trouble living in, in the country. Uh, my dad's wheat crop failed three summers in a row, and so mom had to go to work, and she worked another, had to work in another town, and so we moved around a lot. Um, and uh, we kind of stopped going to church at that point because we were in other towns, and it, was, it got kind of it kind of faded off into the distance. But um, my mother and I both had asthma; it was very bad. So the doctor said, "You've got to move." So she wound up getting a job in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was in I think junior high school. And so we moved completely out of the state. My mm-hmm. dad stayed to do the farm, and he had, he would commute back and forth to Albuquerque. But we we lived there. And started going to a Methodist church there. And oddly enough, another pastor was hired who preached the Bible at that Methodist church and got in trouble. Hmm. Uh, but uh, he uh, became kind of more than uh, a, a pastor or a preacher. He became a friend, hmm. more to me, actually, than, than to my mother. And so um, I wound up uh, going to the Methodist Youth Fellowship, which is the thing that high schoolers did at that time. And I wound up uh, becoming like president of the youth group. Methodists are very organized. Hmm. Uh, and I wound up becoming president of the state Methodist youth organization, all because of this pastor kind of mentoring me and, and pushing me. Hmm. And he was my advisor. And so I had this odd year where I traveled around to, to youth fellowships around the state and would do like uh, little teaching things in the youth group or. Once in a while, I'd do a retreat or something like that. I was I was preaching, mm-hmm. and he was helping me preach, and I thought it was very cool that I was such you know a cool guy that I could do that, and uh, you know I had lots of dates, and it was very very impressive. Um, <laughs> this is a th- world that I'm is, not familiar with. <laughs> this is it is you know <laughs> yeah, and 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 not not only that, but you know Jim, you tell this story. Um, and in it, I see this model of both relational ministry in your life, uh, but also a model of people who 
would teach the Bible and then get in trouble. I feel like that's yeah. like your pastoral <laughs> calling as well. Like teach the Bible. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Like a business card. I, it never <laughs> occurred to me it was my fault. Jim, Jim Leonard, he teaches the Bible and gets in trouble. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, get, don't come around me because you're going to, you're just going to rue the day you do that. Okay. Uh, so, so you were very popularly preaching. Yeah. In contexts. Yeah. Across yeah. New Mexico or? Yes, all okay. over New Mexico and West Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I put probably, I don't know, 10,000 miles on the family car driving all this place. My parents <laughs> yeah, What's your mom think walking. about all this? Well, she thought it was cool. My dad was a little uh, perturbed, okay. uh, but my mom thought it was cool. Um, and she's the one kind of who allowed it. Uh, it meant she had to stay on weekends because I had the car and I was in, you know, uh, Santa Fe or, you know, somewhere in Texas. Or something. Huh. So it was kind of, it was quite a sacrifice. Hmm. The, the crit critical point for me comes at the end of that year, it's my senior year, I'm graduating. Um, Vietnam is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anybody who doesn't go to college is gonna get drafted. They're pretty much sure they're gonna get drafted. I did not want to go to Vietnam, uh, but I didn't know what to do about college. My older brother was already in school and he was taking pretty much all the family money for tuition. So there was no money for me to go to college. So um, I assumed that I would sooner or later just be drafted. But this same pastor uh, called me up and asked me what I was doing, and I said nothing, and he said, let's get you going at something. He got me a job in Arkansas at a church camp uh, for the summer counseling kids. Again, it's a Christian camp. But uh, on our way back, he kept talking to me about college and saying, would you go if I could find a way for you to go? And I, I, don't, know, I don't think I'm college material. Uh, we're driving very slowly across Oklahoma. The campus in Arkansas, we're going back to New Mexico. He's mm -hmm. driving very slowly across Oklahoma. And finally I say, okay, yeah, I guess they would. He says, okay, I already get a place for you. And he immediately turns south and heads down to Abilene, Texas, where there's a Methodist college. Mm. And um, he had already enrolled me. He got me... <laughs> He got loved you and had a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah. He got me a scholarship. He got me a job on campus. He got me a second job off campus uh, and a loan. And I was in college. And suddenly I was exempt from the draft. And I was on a whole different course that I, I never anticipated or thought would happen. I had no plans for college at all. Huh. So uh, that was kind of weird. Okay, so the crisis comes. I, I become president of the uh, college group uh, across the the street from the campus. We put on a retreat. Uh, we're studying Bonhoeffer at the retreat. We have a speaker. I'm reading a section from one of Bonhoeffer's uh, books. And I realize I, I'm at the retreat. I'm in charge of the retreat. I'm sitting on a, on a bench on the pathway from the, where they're, they're uh, speaking and where the dormitories are. And it occurs to me, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe that Jesus is Jesus. I don't believe anything that Bonhoeffer is saying in this about what the reality of God is. This is the left turn people didn't see coming. Nope. I've yep. Been, I've been... yep. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So I had, it just happens that, that my uh, kind of vice president guy, my assistant who does everything at the retreat, walks along and says, anything I can do? I, I said, yeah, you need to take over the retreat. I'm leaving. And I left right then. It was just wrong for me to be there. So I went back to the dorm and I began to apply to colleges that were secular and that didn't have any. So I wound up at University of New Mexico back in Albuquerque, oddly enough. Um, uh, and uh, I joined a fraternity and drank a lot of beer and 
it kind of just went off the deep end for two years, two and a half years until I graduated. Just, from there. just like that. I mean, yeah, just like just that. Left just, the retreat, yeah. left school. Yeah. I just, I just didn't, yeah. you know, if you don't believe in God, what's all this? Why, why would you do any of this? Why would you mm -hmm. be in college? Why would I be at a Christian school? Yeah. It was just all. Um, and so that was the, that was a turning point for me, big time. Um, I met a girl there from the University of Michigan. Uh, uh, we re-elect each other, but she was going back to do a master's program and I was graduating. So I thought that was the end of that. But I moved to Los Angeles. A friend of mine you know, went out for a trip with him to visit his parents out here. And the uh, second day I was out there, I was looking around and somebody asked me if I'd like a job at City Hall in Los Angeles. And I said, oh, okay. And they took me to, into an interview room and I came out with a job. So, um, it's another turning point. <laughs> was, was applying to city hall a little different back then? Like that's <laughs> it was, boy, was it ever wow. it was very different. So I wound up working for the city. I, I went home, packed my stuff, got in my car and drove back out and, uh, began my career in LA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my, my girlfriend in Michigan got a job in Long Beach. And so she came out too. And so we started dating. And uh, that was our lives. We were just doing that and, you know, having fun on weekends. Mm. Um, okay, so now I have to fast forward like 10 years and we're married. So, so okay, so t 10 years. I mean, yeah. I, like, I, I, I want to fast forward. I think it's the right thing to do for the story, but I, I don't want to <laughs> like lose the fact that like, it wasn't like, oh, okay, then we did that for a month and then we're like, oh, like, what are we doing? You know, or like did that for a year, like 10 years, like that, that's, that's life. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, you're just, yeah. your life is established in Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think of a lot of people's, maybe even neighbors or friends who like, they've been here 10 years. You're like, oh, I, I guess everything's established. Like, I guess this is what it is. So, okay. So 10 yeah. years goes by yeah. and you got married in the intervening time. Yes. Yeah. We got married and uh, actually pretty quickly. And so, you know, we're married most of that time. Mm -hmm. uh, we're now living in Santa Monica. She's working on this West side. Um, I've... At that point, I've uh, quit the city, uh, gone to Loyola, gotten a master's degree in uh, uh, writing, film and writing, and uh, am trying to uh, make a career out of that. And it's not going well, and our marriage is not doing well. And uh, uh, Mary, my, my wife, was, was uh, really feeling very stressed out. Uh, one evening, we're in bed, and she says... Um, do you have a Bible? And I said, no, I don't. She said, well, you, you did all that back in high school, didn't you? I said, yeah, but I didn't keep a Bible. Well, she searches around and finds a Bible that someone gave her when she graduated from high school. Hmm. And she says, I'm going to read this. Okay. And so I know enough about the Bible to be her tutor as she's reading this. She reads it all through the year, through the winter. And somewhere in the spring, she says to me, what do you do if you believe all this is true? And I say, well, you do the sinner's prayer. You sinner's prayer. So she says, what's that? And so oddly enough, I know how to do the sinner's prayer. Isn't that funny? So we get down, kneel by the bed, and she repeats after me the sinner's prayer. Um, and I'm really, really upset. <laughs> I'm married to a Christian. That was never, never my intent. When you, and you're, you're the one that had to lead her to Christ. I led her to Christ. Hey, under protest. Uh, <laughs> under protest, yeah. Yes, exactly right. It's, I, I don't know what it, I don't have words for this. But um, 
then what happens is over the next few months, she changes. She changes not a little bit. She changes radically. She becomes pretty much a whole new person. Hmm. And I, I, I was just blown away. I just completely, I, I was stunned by that. I had no idea where that came from. But I figured it came from the Bible. So I went, I snuck out and bought a paperback copy of the Bible and snuck it in. I had a uh, part of the apartment, I had my own little, little room. And uh, so I hid it in there and I would go in and I had a television set and you, I turned you it on. You didn't want her? I didn't want her to know. You didn't want her see. to know you were reading it. No, I did all not right. want her to know. And I read that Bible all winter. Um, and somewhere in the course of that, uh, I had a point where I thought, this, this couldn't be in here, what I'm reading right now about Jesus. This, this couldn't happen. And people not, you know, uh, uh, if it didn't happen, somebody would say something. This must have happened. And it was a place where uh, Paul writes, you know, there are like 600 people who saw him alive after, after, his, after his resurrection or something mm-hmm. like that. And it, it, I had this profound, <laughs> this stunning, profound <laughs> moment that I was kind of, you segue from that park bench on the retreat mm-hmm. to this moment in my little office that, that, that those were the parentheses on this period of non-belief and that I believed again, that I, there, there was no way this could not be real in history and, and not have been contradicted. Um, and so it was, a, it was a really, really, I was very, very angry that I had to give my life back to Christ <laughs> again. <laughs> I was mad about that for weeks. Um, it, my sense of sovereignty was, you know, just smashed. I was now mm. under, under, uh, in the kingdom, under the king. And, um, so a friend of ours came out to visit. And so, uh, Mary said, so uh, Jim became a Christian. And she said, well, where are you going to church? Well, we weren't. Mm-hmm. And so she says, well, let's find a church. And because she had become a Christian, she was Mary's friend from Michigan who had been a total, uh, had struggled with alcohol uh, for a long time. And she had become a Christian and totally uh, given that up. And so for her, it was a very strong motivation to get us in a church. And so she found uh, this church in the Yellow Pages called uh, First Baptist Church of West Los Angeles. And we started coming here. Hmm. Uh, Dr. George Huber was the pastor at that point. And uh, it was a fairly old congregation. You know, almost everybody in the room was older than us. Uh, and they were delighted to see us. They were, oh, yeah, young blood. Uh, so, uh, uh, and he kind of took us under his wing, particularly me. And, uh, yeah. And so he put together a group of guys. Um, in those days, uh, distance uh, learning was like they sent you a box full of videotapes of seminary classes. And then he would kind of, <laughs> monitor and mentor those. And it was, it worked okay. It was pretty, pretty good, except you couldn't ask much by way of questions back and forth. But um, uh, they, were, they were from Western Seminary in Portland and they were quite good and they're very intriguing and they were powerful. And I, I really, really loved those courses. I, I was, we went through several of them together. Hmm. Uh, now, while this is going on, I, I had changed employers working for the city of Santa Monica at that point. And uh, they were sending me to uh, get a degree in counseling because they wanted a counselor on staff at the city for city employees. Uh, so they didn't have to hire out. So they were going to make me the counselor. So I was completing a degree, a master's in, uh, in uh, counseling. And uh, 
Dr. Eber started talking to me about volunteering to counsel at the church with people who were struggling here. So I said, yeah, I could, I could probably do that. The third factor was uh, Mary contracted uh, leukemia and began to get very, very sick. So there was a crisis point where over about a period of a little over a year, she was in and out of the hospital, nearly died several times, and finally did die on Thanksgiving Day. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful day. Mm. Uh, and it was actually, it was, it was pretty, she, she was very, very sick uh, and until uh, about um, 10 seconds after midnight on Thanksgiving Day. So it's like God kept her alive and so she could die on Thanksgiving. And uh, so, which was great because I was very thankful. I really was. And I thought that was, uh, that was God's hand. Hmm. Um, so that was a big mess. It was a big mess here. Everybody knew us. And so the, that was terrible. I had a, a, uh, a refrigerator full of uh, uh, stuff that uh, a lot of the women in the church had made for me to eat. Um, I had uh, people constantly sending me cards. It was, it was, I was inundated. Uh, with love and affection and and uh, and uh, food, um, and I was just devastated. Just devastated. Didn't know how to how to make this work at all. And uh, so Dr. Huber said, um, "I'd like you to do some counseling in the church, just as a volunteer. Would you do that?" I said, "Yeah, I'd be happy to." So this was somehow another of God's little things where I began counseling, and everybody who came out for counseling, and there were a lot had a uh, loss issue. Hmm. And so with every counseling session, I felt God pushing me against this loss issue of my own. Um, and I, I, the funny thing was I tended to be a good counselor because I had recently experienced that. But also, it was, it was healing for me. Hmm. And I began to realize that God was really powerfully move, maneuvering me into something. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I felt a hand on me. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, what, what the short story from there on is that, that gradually Dr. Tuber worked me into becoming staff. So I, 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 so I, I want to I get there and get to like the pastoral side, but um, what, I mean, that, that's a huge life transition to go through. Even lo looking back on it now, how, was it, you know, through some of those relationships? I, I want you to talk a little bit more about that transition, you know, when Mary passed and both the um, maybe blessing of those in the church, but also the ways in which uh, I imagine there's nothing that can ultimately provide comfort other than the time and reliance on God. I mean, what? I, but I, I'm I'm imagining there. What what was that like for you? Well, you know, pretty much horrible. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much a nightmare. Uh, I'm I'm sort of introverted. Uh, I, I don't I don't really hang out with groups a lot, mm. um, and um, so I didn't I don't think I exactly knew how to even reach out to anybody. Mm. Um, uh, I was seeing a counselor, and the counselor said, "I really can't can't do this. I really can't deal with you with this. It's just too big a loss, and I can't I can't handle it." So he fired me. Um, <laughs> so I I kind of wound up fairly isolated. Mm. Um, but then what happened was, as, as I was saying, the, this, this uh, kind of line of people, all with loss in their lives, mm. started coming in for counseling. 
and they became for for me uh, some 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 uh, cauterizing uh, force yeah. for the the pain. And was and, and was that over like days, weeks, months, years? So over a period of about um, three years, mm. um, and I was gradually being drawn into doing much uh, more pastoral stuff as well. He was basically uh, setting me up to to uh, be a uh, part-time pastor in the church, which he did finally offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, it worked out that uh, for a certain amount of time, <laughs> the city was paying me to be a pastor at the church, which is a little odd, but uh, it worked out on my financial timeline, right? <laughs> um, but okay. the other problem was all the women in the church wanted to have me date somebody. They wanted to fill that gap in my life. And, and so I had this struggle with that. <laughs> that wasn't helpful? It was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the first date I had, which was like only about three months after Mary died, oh. I, I went and picked up the young lady, sweet lady. I knew her pretty well. I took her out. I got almost to the restaurant and realized I couldn't, I couldn't do this. I could not be with this woman, even though I liked her and she was sweet, on a date and make it through the night. And I took her back home. <laughs> I just apologize all of this, but it was, it was really, you know, it's just nightmarish in, in many ways. It was just uh, awful. It was very painful uh, emotionally. So this is the paradox yeah. of Jim Leonard. That you, I, This is a uniquely hard one to do in podcast format because getting totally. to know you requires, uh, you're someone that requires presence in a way that, not necessarily mm-hmm. everyone does. Some people can sort of, maybe it's, I don't know why it is, but but to watch you both, in a sense, in the same breath, um, say how horrific it was and how God kept her till 10 seconds on Thanksgiving Day and I was thankful. Yeah. Like, I know you well enough to know how these two sort of furious opposites are both true and both furious. Um <laughs> To, you know, crib yeah. from Chesterton there, but like, <laughs> but, but it's just for people listening, um, there's a beauty to this. Like there's a, mm. what Jim has in a lot of ways is not just wisdom due to living longer than me, but there's a kind of awareness of the world that creates a new set of, of metrics for how to evaluate things for what's important and not important and for how to experience life and how to kind of walk through it. Most people that I know, myself included, tend to want to manage it. Um, my initial instinct is to manage what comes my way. And Jim's initial instinct, well, maybe that's in there, mm-hmm. at least over time, has uh, become to to take it in, um, to experience it, to, yeah. to, to walk with it in ways that I, I've been encouraged by, encouraged is too weak of a word, I've been a little enamored with is probably the best way to put it. I, I, I say sometimes I have a little joke that I want to be Jim when I grow up. Um, and, and there's a, there, there's I was going to bring this up today. Okay. Yeah. It's true. I mean, yeah, I, there's a way scary. that I, this is, there's a way that I, I mean, there's a way that's a joke. Um, cause I'm 40. Uh, but there's a way it's, it's very true. There's a, there's a kind of demeanor that you have, um, that comes in some ways through, your experience with God and life and Mary and yeah. Karen. I yes. mean, we'll get to more, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, the church Definitely. experience, like all sorts of things. Yes. But there's a way that those things can harden you or soften you. They can, 
they can seize you up or they can open you up. Um, and they seem to have opened you up. And that's something that I've always mm. wanted to become more like huh. as I walk through life, as I go through the experiences that God hands me. Can I, can I, can I be open up like Jim? Um, because it's not bright and shiny. That's the beautiful part of it to me. It's not, there's no uh, yeah. Thomas Kincaid to it. It's just, it's, just, <laughs> it's just very honest and also very welcoming and hospitable. Huh. Um, so I don't know. There's, there's more we can talk about, but but for for people listening, it's, yeah. I can see there might be a dissonance for someone who doesn't know Jim the way that, that we do, and and maybe it comes across the way you're talking. It's funny to me right now that usually we need like three people in here yeah. to make sure that it's not boring, but with you, it's just kind of just let them talk, like it's like <laughs> like the story itself, but also the way you the way you speak, the way you uh, articulate the things that have happened to you, the way you conceive of them is just different enough, I think, to huh. to make it interesting in a way that people will want to say, huh, that's what an interesting way, you know, my sovereignty got smashed. These are sentences that mm. someone else says and they're sort of cliche, uh -huh. but you say it because you mean it because that's what happened and yeah. you just sort of had to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's something so, so anyway, yeah. for those listening, I'm trying to give a little bit of context to Jim um, to, to help you grasp that these are things worth holding on to. These are worth, things worth pondering. Mm. Um, that these experiences have created in him something uh, very beautiful and very um, worth thinking about how we might follow in that as we walk through life. Yeah. So, you know, th th this is Brian sort of inserting himself more to the story. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's the genuine, the genuine reality with which you experience life and even the pains, but the way that it, the genuineness doesn't steal the hope. I think sometimes we try to manage it because we're afraid that if we feel it with its full force, it's going to steal our hope. And Jim, you experience, it seems like you walk into all these things, experiencing the, the fullness of them, but with this, this hope that looking back can laugh <laughs> um, in a fascinating yeah. I, way. You know, and, and in some way you, you, there's nothing else to do. I mean, you either laugh or you cry, but, and, and, uh, you're quite right, though. I, I think that uh, somewhere in there, I began to realize that I, I have to do each day meaningfully. I have to, to think through, okay, background, uh, present understanding, uh, possible future, how do those all fit together in uh, God's hand on me in this moment? Um, and I think particularly that that time I was just talking about it was where that all kind of, it was a kind of a clash or, or that's a, they all came together really forcefully at that moment. Um, I didn't know what to do with all that. I, I had just a monumental sense of loss. I mean, I mean, it was just horrendous. We had just finally both become believers. We were just both putting our marriage back together and wonderfully, wonderfully uh, happy. And, and then she gets very, very sick and is tortured by this horrible disease and dies. And I watch all this and I'm thinking helplessly, but pretty much, you know, and uh, then I'm in a community of people who, you know, are very aware of it and they are kind of on me every day and every, every Sunday, particularly, you know, oh, you poor, you poor boy or, uh, here, have some pie. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible. They were very sincere and it was very sweet. You know, yeah. I probably gained 20 pounds. But it was really, uh, uh, they were very, very, the, the women in the church particularly were very, very uh, ministering to me. I think the men had no clue how to do anything. Uh, George Huber was great, but otherwise I don't think anybody quite knew what to do. But uh, the women 
uh, they would just come up and put their hand, arm around me or their hand on my shoulder or something and just, you know, just kind of ministered to me as best they could. Mm. Um, and that was public. So it was, it was, it was you know, everybody mm -hmm. kind of knew. Yeah. So, so it was shortly after that, that, that the Lord did orchestrate you into a pastoral role. So what, what, what was, yeah. what was your entrance into? Very shortly. So she, she, Mary died on Thanksgiving day on Christmas. Pastor Heber invited me over for Christmas dinner because I had, I had nobody to eat with. <laughs> he mm. could eat my own dinner at home, right? And so he invited me over and uh, said, I want you to counsel, start counseling in the church. We have some people who need, uh, need help, and I think you'd be good. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's pretty much when the, I went and talked to my boss at the city, and I said, I, you know, I, I, I'm not getting anybody here for counseling. I got this experience, and my church is asking me to do some counseling there. He said, yeah, go do that. Said, Don't worry about the page. Just go do that. So... <laughs> This, you know, separation of church and state didn't work so well in this particular location, <laughs> I think. But I uh, wound up... Typical being, Santa Monica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly odd that yeah. liberal Santa Monica yeah. would pay for me to work at a conservative church, but otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all these people came in with grief. I mean, I was literally crying after, I don't know, 80% of, of my counseling meetings with mm. people. A guy came in whose brother had died. Another guy came in whose uh, wife had left him for another man. I mean, just one, one thing after another. And so uh, I was kind of pushed up against all these emotions and this sense. And I think that was part of God's annealing of my soul, was working through all those things to speak to me about how I live with this, because it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. To this day, it doesn't go away. Mm. Uh, but... It's an emotion, and that's different from uh, a, a determination to live a life uh, that's you know useful to others, helpful, God God uh, oriented, and God used. Uh, and so I, that's what I began to try to do. Um, and uh, I, I gave up on dating though, and, and so it was, it was a couple of years later when uh, a friend. Uh, a mutual friend came up and said, "Hey, uh, Karen Gill just and her boyfriend just broke up. She's right back there. Go ask her out." And I said, "I'm not dating anymore. This is like, you know, I'm like a pariah. You know, I'm the guy whose wife died. Nobody wants to marry me." And he said, "No, no, no. Just go ask her one one date. Just one date. Go ask her out right now. Go on, do it, do it." Was this normal? Is this is this something that happened? Like people felt that level of well, <laughs> of purchase on your life well, yeah. to come up and say, right now, yeah. go ask that person no. out, like this moment. No, that, that was not uncommon. Okay. okay, it was like the whole church was trying to fix me, you know. Um, and Karen had been a friend. Actually, she had been a friend of Mary's. So the three of us took a class here at one point together, and we were we were. So it wasn't like I didn't know her. We were we were friends. And so I went back there and I said, you, I, I got tomorrow night. You want to go get dinner? She says, yeah, okay. And so it was very casual. And so we went out the next night and had just a terrible date. Just a terrible date. <laughs> God, we didn't know what to say to each other. And so it was this long periods of silence. Anyway, so that it, I dropped her off. That okay, I've done my job. I've done my duty. Fulfilled my obligation. I'm done. Next morning on my, uh, in those days we had phone machines, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have uh, phones in our pockets. So on my phone machine was uh, a note from her saying, hey, thanks for the, the time last night, it's good dinner. 
You mentioned a book. I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the book. What was what was the book, and and uh, what can you tell me about it? And so I called her back and and uh, said, "Yeah, I, I I talked about the book, and I can actually give you my copy if you want." She says, "Yeah, let's meet for coffee." And so we suddenly had a second date. And uh, then she had mentioned something. I called her back, and I said, "You know, I, I liked what you said about that. Can I get a copy of that uh, tape of that talk?" And this went on for we were back and forthing. I don't know for a couple months until we began to become like regular. And she didn't mind that I had this big, huge loss. I mean, it was sad, but she didn't, it didn't affect her. She wasn't treating me funny or special or anything. She was just being her. And I was, I realized there were a lot of other guys dating her too. So it wasn't like it was (laughs) just me. So... So, but I didn't know what to do with her. I really liked her, but I didn't know what to do with her. So I just kept kind of stalling off and stalling off and stalling off. And so one day, so here's the, here's the part that I don't, don't like to tell people. So hang on. Uh, I was at church. Don't worry, I, Jim. It's just the three of us. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Go ahead and Nobody's whisper it into hear the that. microphone. <laughs> In this little room. It's great. Um, I was here and I, I here at church and I uh, went over to, uh, Cafe 50s for lunch, and uh, thinking about her and thinking about the, I think I, I should probably just break up with her. I should just, we should end this, just end this. This is ridiculous. And I'm walking back across the street, and I'm halfway across uh, Barrington at the corner here, halfway across, traffic everywhere, right? And God speaks to me out of the sky, literally in a voice, in a verbal voice. He says, I want you to marry Karen. Now, there wasn't anybody else around. I looked around to see if there was somebody there, like her dad or someone, you know? There was no, it was, it was, it was a, Clearly a, a verbal audio voice in the middle of the street. A truck nearly killed me right there, <laughs> but it didn't. And I thought, well, what was that? So I, I went home and thought about it for like two weeks. And I thought, well, I think that was the voice of God. I think I have to you know, act on that. And so I didn't know even how to ask her to, to write me. And so I, I think I wound up apologizing and saying, I, I think that... Uh, you probably don't want to do this, but we probably should. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, is this the worst, you know, asking ever? Just again so, to interject here. Yeah. <laughs> so Jim is not a guy that like hears God talk all the time. Because like, no. there are people out there who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering what I should get. God told me Denver. You know, like, the people yeah, who do right. this sort of thing to kind of like justify their decisions. Yeah. Jim is the furthest person from this guy. And believe, <laughs> believe me, he has not said a word to me since, by the way. <laughs> so it's just, it's just fascinating. And then, yeah, to have it turn into this, like, I don't know, I'm, I, apologetic proposal. Again, <laughs> I, I'm some sorry. guys do the, play yeah. that card, right? That's Where it's right. like, you know what, look, yeah. I, I really like it, but it's not me. It's God that wants it's, us to yeah, be together. Like some, oh. But not Jim. Jim's coming yeah. out the entire I, other direction. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, oh, such stress. Oh anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it was, I mean, we, we were, by the time we were pretty you know, serious. And so on New Year's, Christmas Eve, I think it was. I took her down to the music center. It was freezing cold. Uh, I thought it'd be romantic, but it, we were icy. And uh, you know, said, "All right, well, well, will you marry me?" And she said, "Yes." And so we did one quick kiss, and then we got back in the heated car and went home. <laughs> 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 so I had already been shopping for trying to do a wedding ring, uh, a engagement ring, and I wanted to make one for her that that spoke to her. And, and so, uh, I it took me so long that I I gave her the engagement ring. 
as she was standing uh, in what is our prayer room now beside the sanctuary on the day of our wedding in her wedding dress, <laughs> that's when she got the engagement ring. And so like 30 minutes later, she got the wedding ring. But it had, it had a, a diamond in the middle and sapphires around it because I thought she, like me, has had dark periods in her life. And the dark periods are what make the diamond shine brighter that she had that. And mm-hmm. I wanted that ring to symbolize that. So, so I got her that ring and she totally understood what it was about. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me to, I think, enter into the marriage with some sense of we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, we had all the wonderful issues of fighting through uh, the first year of being married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just wonderful. But mm-hmm. uh, she's a, you know, she, she didn't take anything off me. She's a, she's a wonderful, wonderful fighter. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you kind of have to be, you know, to be married to a Leonard, I think. But anyway, we, we had a, we've, we've, I think we've had a great year, a great bunch of years. We're on 26 now. This wow. past our anniversary. Wow. And so at the same time, <clears throat> you were serving the church as a pastor. And when we, we, we can, um, we'll, we'll actually get, get into that a little bit more in the next episode when we talk about that. But what, what was, uh, how long before the merge, how long were you a pastor here at First Baptist? Uh, let's see. Um, I think uh, it was uh, January of 86 when I started the volunteer counseling. I think okay. Dr. Heber put me on payroll in October of 86. Um, and then uh, I came full-time in January of 87, I think. And... Uh, then when did he? Then he told me he was leaving, <laughs> and I would I would be the interim pastor. I think. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I think that was like eighty nine or something like that. I was, uh, but I was already full time at that point. So I I would I I usually uh, say I was uh, on staff from October of eighty six. Okay. Uh, pretty much continually till now. And and how many times have you been the interim pastor? Twice. Okay. Is it three times? I think it's twice. Something like that. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a whole nother story, but, oh. um, <laughs> or stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but the Lord's, uh, I mean, I, what's, what's exciting to me is just to continue to see the, the God things as you call them, right. The, the Lord yeah. directing in this life through, um, I, I think the, the type of journey that, um, even one of those twists and turns, you feel like may have been just the end of it, but the Lord has continued to um, care for and draw you along and teach you. And, and I think to Brian's point, I think this is what many of us actually, and not just pastors, but many of us in the church, um, not only appreciate, but desire to emulate um, in your life is that, the presence and steadfastness that that looks different, even than I think we would manage it to look. Um, I think sometimes when I try to bring about steadfastness in my own life, it's a very managed steadfastness. Like, okay, let me let me make sure I can you know handle yeah. this and and make it work and you know figure it out. I mean, it, not foreign to you and my personality, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in either of you, yeah. Uh, yeah, calamity is hard to manage. It really is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, uh, uh, great joy is hard to manage. I, I, uh, I mean, it, 
you take your Indiana Jones movie or any any movie like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good parable. I mean, for I think many people, they fail to recognize that that you know life is a series of uh, God directed adventures. Uh, he directed them. It's not like I mean, uh, he knew what was going to happen with with Mary. He knew what that was going to be like. He knew uh, how I was going to react. Uh, he knew that, uh, you know, Karen was, he, he positioned her for me and me for her mm. at just the right stage. Uh, Mary is the one who brought me to Christ. <laughs> is that funny? Yeah. I just think that's hilarious. And, um, and that's after I led her in the sinner's prayer, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then she brought me to Christ. <laughs> and I just think this is, God says, a, you know, our miraculous and, and wonderful hand on, on you, but it's, it's very subtle. Uh, and sometimes it's it's pretty far out there, so he, he he manages the parameters and lets you you know just drown in the middle somewhere. But he's got he's moving the pool while you're drowning in it, and and <laughs> <laughs> he, he lines you up for the next thing. It's just powerful, and I I, I just uh, I'm I'm stunned and grateful and um, love what he's given me to be able to counsel from. Mm. It's hard to find you know any place lower than I've been and. Uh, so I can speak in that direction. Mm. Well, I, I hope this even opens up the door for people that maybe in our midst, maybe in our church family, have, don't know the backstory, haven't uh, been there, haven't known even just these snippets of it might open the door for people to be like, oh, wait, that there is somebody I could talk to. There's somebody who might yeah. know yeah. Um, the depths of what I'm going through. And I'm thankful for the role you play in that in our lives as your fellow pastors, but also for the ways that you, um, the ways that the Lord uses you to play that role in our church family. Um, it's, uh, it truly is a privilege to get to serve with you. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to God for the, the experience. That's hard to say, but it's true. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, what what a, I just feel like this whole story just declares it just like we were talking about this morning, just declares the glory of God at every turn. And what a, what a beautiful thing to get to be said about your life. Yeah. Even with all the twists and turns. Yeah. So, well, thanks Jim. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing with us and thanks everybody for joining us and listening. Um, We love you and we will see you on Sunday. Okay. Thank you, God.